Good morning. Merry Christmas, right? Wow, the time, the time has come. We are going to uh, look at one of my favorite passages this time of year. You know, Christmas is one of those things of how in the world are you going to be able to do it? There's a Christmas season, the celebration, the lights, the, the, all of the things that go on, the warmth of the fire, the smells, the, uh, all of the shopping and the family and the friends and the making of memories. There's that aspect of uh, Christmas that brings a smile to your face. But then there's that other part of Christmas, which is a deeper side to Christmas, more of that mysterious side that comes from just thinking about the birth of that, of that child. What's going on? What child is this? Max Lucado, let me, it's kind of a, a long, long quote, but I think it's well worth re- reading this quote from Max Lucado. He said, God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, dirty, no silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception at all. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the streets with him. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him. It could be that his knees were bony. But one thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. You know, part of all the hype that surrounds Christmas is, is good, and, but there's also that part of Christmas that lifts, lifts us up above the mundane into the heavenlies as we begin to consider just the miraculous, what happened here? with this, this child. The story itself is full of questions. I mean, what child is this? How in the world did this happen? What in the world is, is going? Why did the Son of God want to become even human? Why would he leave the glories of what's going on? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. One of my favorite Christmas passages. Luke the physician, if you remember, Paul's sometime companion down the road, uh, says in chapter 1, verse 3 of Luke that he investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order so that you might know the exact truth. And so Luke the physician, taking things very carefully, beginning to write down exactly what he would want us to know about this. And in Luke chapter 2, we have the recorded the birth of Jesus. Verses 1 through 7, Mary and Joseph make their way to Bethlehem because there was a census. And then verse 7 he gives. In verses 8, we have some insights. That's what's going on. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to look through verse 1 through 14, and then we're going to focus specifically on verse 8 through 14. 
chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. While this was the first census, take it while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood around them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. What's going on here? What child is this? Let's just look at the verses 8 through 14 and just kind of reflect a little bit together as to what's happening. And, and I want to maybe share with you a few insights uh, uh, that comes down from some of these passages that have really encouraged me, that I like to reflect on during Christmas time that really brings more of a fullness to it. Verse 8, in the same region there were some shepherds. Some shepherds were out in the field. They were keeping their watch over their flock at night. Now the question is, is okay, why shepherds? Why shepherds? Why, why, did, why did they, the angels announce it to the shepherds? Why didn't the why didn't the, not the king or the high priest or go to the Sanhedrin or maybe the scribes or the Pharisees or the rabbis? I mean, why not the wealthy and the influential people? Why not the powerful people? Why did the angels go first to the shepherds? What do you think? The scripture doesn't tell us, obviously, and so there's... There's a, a lot of reasons, maybe, but why, why do you think that the, they went specifically to the shepherds? I saw a hand back here. Yeah, go ahead. All right, going to be the Lamb of God. Some of the symbolic, symbolic a- aspect of that. All right. I'm sorry? He was a shepherd. All right, peers. Yeah, the shepherd aspect that goes along with being a shepherd. I'm kind of repeating the thing, so it gets onto the thing. There's a hand back here. Yeah? Hold, hold it, hold it. Go ahead. Tim? The shepherds were looking up at the sky outdoors. All right. 
Shepherds were out there looking up at the sky. Yeah, you bet. Yes, sir. And that, and that the Messiah was for all people, not just for some people. All right. That, that's a great, great insight. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. They were the only ones up. <laughs> well, I'm sure that the angels could have woken up the people, you know. That could be. Yeah, absolutely. They were the only ones uh, awake enough to be able to see anything. Other things. Any, anything else? Yeah, it makes you stop a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. All right. All of the other institutions were corrupt. Who else could they go to that was, uh, uh, they're actually, you know, the shepherds were probably not the, uh, the very high on the social ladder at all in that, in that society. Let me give you three possible reasons. And like I said, and some, most of them have been, been uh, already alluded to here uh, as to why uh, they went to the shepherds rather than the Sanhedrin or the scribes or the Pharisees or the rabbis or whoever else were there. One, I think, is what, what was brought up because the, the good news is for all, for all people. And I think the shepherds kind of represent that because they were the lowliest of low in that, in that society. In fact, only ones lower than shepherds in that society were lepers. And so... Shepherds were kind of the low rung of the society. And because of the nature of the work, they weren't really able to take uh, part in a lot of the ceremonies that were going on. They were ceremonially defiled because of their nature of the work. They could observe, but they also had the reputation during that time of being thieves and liars, uh, so much so that they uh, were not allowed to give testimony in the courts. And often those who came from that society kind of looked down on their roots, you know, from where they came. And so, you know, uh, from the Bedouin, Bedouin, you know, nomadic type of culture that they came from, they kind of looked down. In fact, you remember uh, even in David's time, the job of the shepherd was really relegated to the youngest of the family. David was the shepherd of the family. He was the youngest one. He was kind of the low person on the, on the, uh, the rung there. But ultimately, they did, you know, a, an honest and necessary work. They were dirty. They were smelly. Uh, people, though, were somewhat suspicious of them. But the contrast is really great. What do we got clicking here? The contrast is really great. The angels who were the highest and the holiest appear now to the humblest and the lowest. The point is, I think, that the news was for the shepherds. If the news was for the shepherds, it was going to be for everybody. And there were receptivity. Second, second also, I think, because the, the symbolic of the nature of God's relationship to his people, which was brought up, um, Jacob referred to God as his shepherd in Genesis chapter 48. God who has been my shepherd. Isaiah 40, 11, God who shepherds and feeds Israel. Jeremiah 31, who protects his flock. In fact, the word pastor really comes from the Latin, which means shepherd. And so 
you kind of God's relationship to his people is really represented in that whole uh, exchange of appearing to the shepherds. But third, because, and I was also brought up over here, I think, because it was symbolic, I think, of the work of Christ, that he was going to be the lamb who died for our, our sins. Now, uh, Alfred Edersheim says that and he writes that the, uh, uh, the flock that pastors might have been destined for temple sacrifices. That could be true. Uh, that could be true. There's not a lot of, of um, uh, verifiable evidence towards that. However, it could be very true that the, the very lambs that those shepherds were watching over could be destined for temple sacrifice. I would like to like to believe that to be true, but I hold that lightly because it's not very verifiable that that was actually the case. But the shepherds really couldn't go into the temple to see those perfect animals being sacrificed, but they could go see the newborn lamb of God. You kind of go, yeah, how sweet. How sweet is that? But then in verse 9, it says that an angel of the Lord suddenly stood around them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. I mean, why do, you, why do you think they were frightened? All right. Yeah. Yeah, it's dark out there. Very dark out there. And then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, they're, they're maybe awoken, <laughs> awakened by the, by the uh, light that was there, a Shekinah glory the presence of God. It's amazing, you know, as you look through Scripture, that most of the times when miracles happened, even with the disciples, as miracles happened, they were, they were, they were frightened. They were scared because they had seen something that, you know, was out of the, out of the ordinary. And anytime you see something that's out of the ordinary, you're going to, you know, immediately just kind of pull back because this is not normal. And they were terribly frightened because now all of a sudden you've got the light basically lighting up the lighting up the sky and an angel's appearing but the angel in verses 10 through 11 really reassures the shepherds of the of the occasion the angel said do not be afraid for behold i bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people for today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Uh, one, of the, one of the commentators, and I did not have the opportunity or time to be able to check this out, but uh, said that this is the only time in Scripture where those three terms, shepherd, Christ, the Lord, appears together. And you, you say, Wow. But born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, really calling attention to who this individual is. The Savior will be Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Lord, the sovereign deity, the, the one who came to deliver you from sin. Totally human, totally divine. But now here's, here's what grabs me from this passage. And you're going to go, right. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. 
What kind of sign is this? I mean, you're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. What kind of sign, sign is that? What do you think? Humanity, all right. Humanity. Humility, all right. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to find him wrapped in silk, and you're not going to find him wrapped in some sort of uh, royal types of surroundings. You're going to find a baby wrapped in, in cloths lying in a manger. Doug? Yes. So, you know, we're accustomed to seeing a baby in a manger because all of our lives we have worshipped the baby Jesus and he's always been in the manger from the time we were two or three years old. We saw that baby in a manger. But babies don't usually go in mangers. You don't usually find babies in mangers. So this would have been very odd, even in those days, very odd to find a baby in a manger. Yeah, it's going to be even odder here when I, when I uh, start talking about it a little bit. It's going to be a little bit more odd. Yeah, the, the traveling in that day was pretty primitive. You weren't getting into your automobile and driving from uh, uh, one place to another. So they get, they get to a, a, a place where they're going to stop, at, down towards Bethlehem. It was commonly referred to as a con, K-H-A-N, a con, which was really kind of a series of rooms around an open courtyard. And so you, you didn't really have any privacy in a con. You just had really more of a lean-to roof over an open courtyard. That was the, the place. But because of the census, obviously, they said that there weren't really going to be any room in this inn, the con, and so they were going to have to go to the place where they, the, they kept the animals. Now, the question then became is, okay, where then did they keep the animals? I've got a couple of pictures here for you that Art's going to bring up. Typically, what they would do, and this is the first picture, is in that region, in Bethlehem or around that region, there is natural limestone caves. And so the, the stratas of limestone that you can see as you're standing there on the hillside, stratos of limestone that would form natural types of caves. And so typically what they would do is they would, they would uh, find one of those caves, so you can kind of see the cave, and then they would build a little rock um, herding place there for them. And you can kind of see the doorway over there towards the one entrance, and we have a guy kind of giving you an idea of the size of it. And they would shove the animals in there. In fact, our next picture really shows that they are still in use today. You can still see them using those, those uh, caves, natural caves, for keeping, keeping the uh, herds. The last one shows, uh, the last little picture that I have, shows one of those natural caves. that Art is going to miraculously bring up with vigor. Yeah. 
Okay, well, that's all right. You, everybody's got kind of the idea. Yeah, there you go. That, that one was actually my favorite uh, little cave. It's right outside of Bethlehem. Uh, it, and you can see how it was still kind of being used. And we would go down in there. And when you would go in there, it really would open up. There was a, a long, uh, big, big herding place for a lot of sheep. You realize, okay, a lot of sheep could be there. Okay, there wasn't any room in the inn. So they would put the animals into kind of these natural limestone caves that would be a place for keeping of their herds and the sheep. And so imagine this. They, Mary gives pregnant. They probably have their little blankets. And, well, you're relegated to the, to the cave. Now, what was a feeding trough or a manger in the cave? Well, in the cave, what they would do is, in fact, in that little cave there, you can douse all of those. In that cave, what you would do to, for a feeding trough is you would chisel out a little bit of the rock on the side of the wall that would form kind of a feeding trough for the animals. It was chiseled out of rock. Now, what I'm doing here is I'm going to blow your brains from the typical nice wooden crash that we see, you know, at Christmas time. This nice little wooden crash and everything's really pristine that's going on. You realize, wow, chiseled rock out of the side where typically they would feed the animals. All right, let's take it one step further. How did they normally bury people in that, in that time? In that time, basically what they would do is they would bury people where? In a cave. What they would do is they would bring the body in. They would lay the body on a ledge in the cave, which would then allow the body to be decomposed. After one year, they would go in and they would then take the body who had decayed and they would put the bones, that's why they say talking about the bones gathered together with your fathers. Yeah, one side gathered together in death, but also gathered together because they would put them into an ossuary box. The ossuary box was as big as the longest bone in your body, your femur, the thigh bone. And so it's just, just a, a small box. They would take all of those bones and they would gather them together into an into a ossuary box, and that would be kind of the family, family box at that point. But for the body to be able to decay, it would decay in a cave lying on a ledge. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, in other words, not wrapped in nice clothing, but wrapped with strips of cloth, kind of like a mummy, almost like burial cloths. You're going to find a baby wrapped 
like prepared for death, lying on a ledge in a cave, which is exactly what we would do with a, a person who is dead. You see, this baby, this baby that was born, was born to die. This baby is going to be surrounded. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a ledge. In other words, you will find a baby that's surrounded by death images. Death images all the way around. Wrapped in cloths, like prepared for, prepared for burial. Lying in a cave, which is where we typically bury people. Lying on a ledge, which is typically where we would lie someone who, is, who has died. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Whoa! Yeah, we're not going to find a baby in the typical types of, of places. We're going to find a baby that's wrapped and surrounded by death images. And you go, yeah. J. Dwight Pentecost writes, he says, such a monumentous event required a sign. A sign was to be given by the angel. You'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Both the attire of the baby and the place where he could be found were to be signs for the shepherds. One would expect to find a boy of royal parentage in a palace. Such a baby normally is wrapped in luxurious garments surrounded by every comfort and convenience. Signs of wealth and station would be everywhere evident. But such was not the case with this baby. He was in a manger. No royal garments clothed his body. Rather, he was wrapped in strips of cloth. This baby had the appearance of being prepared for burial. How fitting that he should be seen from the time of his birth since he truly had been appointed to die for us. To die for us. All in preparation as a fitting sacrifice to die for our sins. But then, verse 13 and 14, and suddenly there appeared an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts. Multitude. An army of angels. It's interesting. An army of angels announcing peace. It says, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. A heavenly host, an army of angels. This, only once before had anybody heard that in, in Isaiah chapter 6, a, 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 an army singing praises to God. And this is now the second time where we, where we see an army of angels praising God. But I'm always just struck with the, with the thought, what more could God have done to announce the birth of his son? What more could he have done? Lights up the sky. Lights up the sky. 
And then he has a host, an army of angels appearing, praising God, glory to God on the, on the highest. What more could God have done? You say, oh, yeah. What a Savior we have. And what a gracious God to provide the Lamb of God to die for us. You know, when I get to this, this season, I'm taken back to the hillsides outside of Bethlehem. I'm taken back to the stratas of limestone as I look out over the hills and I see those stratas of limestone and I see those caves. They say, yeah, Jesus was born in a cave, surrounded by death images because he came to die for you. And it's all about that personal relationship with him and him alone. He took our sins upon himself. He died in my place. And all he asks us from us is to believe, to transfer our trust from whatever we are trusting in to what Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us on, his, on the cross. He died for our sins and arose from the dead as proof that that substitutionary sacrifice that he made on my behalf was an acceptable sacrifice to a holy God. He says, transfer your trust and trust in him and him alone as the only way to be able to get right with God. And that started right there in that manger scene. What more could God have done? He was born to die for you. Wonderful season to be able to, to think about it. The shepherd's response was in verse 20, the shepherd's Verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as been told to them. You say, wow. Yeah. Backing up just a little bit about uh, why the shepherds, I think about all that we were asked of is to believe. So you take a shepherd that's the lowest of the low, the only thing he may have is either his job, which is a shepherd, or he owns the sheep. There's no dumber animal except for maybe a turkey than a, than a sheep, okay? They're subject to predators, and if there's not predators, they just hunt for a place to die on their own, okay? So for those shepherds to believe, to leave their livelihood, to leave everything that they possessed, and to go, they didn't say they took their sheep with them. The sheep stayed and they left and, and they believed. So when you think about it, they were the first believers, really. Because hmm. they sacrificed everything that they had, which was very little, but it was still all they had because they believed. Yeah, when you've got the sky lighting up like that, it's probably a wake-up call in some respects of uh, going there. All of us like sheep have gone astray. You know, yeah, we are kind of like sheep, aren't we? As far as uh, who our nature of just shaking our fist towards God. But yes, he died. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I'm just on the thing with the manger. Mm-hmm. Could you pass that? Trough, uh-huh. It's really big. Um, thank you. 
um, <clears throat> which was the shepherds feeding their sheep and Jesus being laid there as a baby, another sign is he would feed his sheep uh, as, he, as he grew. And then, of course, carry that a step further. And when Jesus leaves for the last time, we become, we are the shepherds, and we feed the sheep as the church. Yeah. I don't know. That's well, we don't want to take a, that's this too far. That's an old English yeah. teacher interpretation. Yeah. We don't want to take some of these images too far, you know, uh, with, with what we have here of this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. You know, we try to do our best we can with what we have as far as just the, the, the text and trying to, to do that. In some of those images, you, surrounded by images, and you say, yeah, you, so many different images of the shepherd and the sheep and the things of that nature that are going on there. And uh, you have to be careful to kind of try to minimize, you know, the boundaries of all of that, but all of what you say is true, you know, of, of that, that type of stuff. Born to die for you. The shepherd's response was praising and glorifying God. And I, my prayer for you this season is that you as well would praise and glorify God who provided the lamb to die for us. Father, thank you for just... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Doug. Before you start a prayer, I have a... I wanted to... Are you interrupting here, Chuck? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm interrupting it. And, okay. Um, I've had a very important announcement come up during our prayer request. Um, Jim, give him a mic. We had a prayer request by an individual who just walked out. Randy, Randy Welch is, is outside. Uh, Randy sits right over here. Uh, okay. He and Connie have been good friends for some time. On the prayer request form, uh, uh, Chuck, Chuck asked me to read this. Um, says, this is from Randy, the highest rate of suicides occurs in December. My world has caved in on me. The love of my life has left me. Doesn't want to be friends. I'm still unemployed and have just $200 in the bank. No friends. This will be my last Christmas. I will be joining those whose Christmas ended their life. I just um, said goodbye to the class in life. My rent will be due and I will be out on the street. I'm not going to the street. Goodbye. So, Randy is out here with Rick Neves and Soul Care team. But, uh, pardon, I think it'd be good for the class to, yeah. to pray for He Randy. just announced his yeah. suicide that he was planning on having yeah. to follow other Christians who had committed suicide. For, for those of you that, that, that are concerned about him, well, we're all concerned about him, but there's been a ton of things done for Randy to right. help him. Uh, psychiatrically, psychologically, and, and monetary-wise as well, uh, thousands of dollars. So <clears throat> it's a very tough case. Yeah. And after he finished making the prayer request, he walked out. And we, we have someone out there with him right now, but uh, we thought it was important enough to, to bring it up right now. To Why don't you pray it, for him? Uh, to do that. And uh, why don't we all stand? Why don't we hold hands? Uh, try to... Uh, Sometimes, as we, we see the other side of Christmas right now, don't we? There are a lot of desperate people, believers and unbelievers, facing a lot of tough decisions and things. And um, 
Randy, while we have helped him, some members of this class have been very generous. The church has been very generous in helping him. Uh, he sees no light at the end of the tunnel and is planning on taking his life. And uh, basically, he ended the prayer request telling us goodbye because that's what he's getting ready to do. So uh, let's pray for him. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, concerned about a brother in Christ this morning that we've heard from. Uh, we're very concerned about, and we know you're even more concerned because you love him more than even we do, and we're concerned for him more than we do. I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, fill him with your spirit, give him hope, give him some encouragement, Heavenly Father, that this is not the end of the road, that we need as believers to share each other and continue to going on no matter what the circumstances might be in our life. Heavenly Father, give him the strength to do that. I pray that you're, you would open up the door to him to show him the way out of his, his des strong desire to commit suicide, to, to take his own life. Uh, and we just pray that you for him and his family. But we pray, for, we pray for him, Heavenly Father, that he might change that direction, that your spirit might direct him, might encourage him, and might just fall on him and, and this group, and we'll continue to pray for him, Heavenly Father. Um, uh, a lot of other people are in great need as well. We want to bring them to you as well. But right now our prayer is for, for Randy, who uh, um, you, you, you know about. And uh, we just pray for Don uh, Burgess and all the others are start trying to speak to him right now outside the class after he left, and we were made aware of his what he wanted to do, and we just lift him in your hands, Heavenly Father. We can't do anything without you, and we just pray your Holy Spirit, and you would intercede in his life and give him the encouragement and direction and strength to move on, Heavenly Father. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.